Such sights to show you. Bring the motherfucking ruckus! Fuck you too! <laughs> Pun intended. Okay. Here's the thing. Uh, I've brought it up on other episodes. I've talked about it on other episodes. This is how other people found out about it. But the we we recently just got together this weekend with a good with a good group of guys. Um, those, those who have been present on the show, we have seen, uh, Harold Heavyhands, Mr. Skelly Bones, uh, Punxsutawney Trill, Deputy Dewey, Mark Rooster, um, Where Am I? And now I feel bad for not getting everyone. <laughs> oh, Scutch McGee showed up for a little bit. And the one you're not allowed to say for... Oh yeah, strawberry. No, I'm allowed to say it. Strawberry shortcake was there. He was there, everyone. Um, I just can't market him. <laughs> I can't sell. I can't sell products with his name. Um, so let me let me let me go one more time. We had where am I? Strawberry shortcake. Punxsutawney Trill. Deputy Dewey. Mister Skellybones. Scutch McGee. Mark Rooster. Uh, two two guys who aren't on the show. Um, myself and of course my wonderful guest here today, back from the Bronx. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. Uh, oh, and Mr. Harold Heavyhands forgot him too. But uh, uh, I'm here with Mr. Tom Bongbadil. I still can't say it, by the way. Mr. Tom, Tom Bongbadil. <laughs> Instead of Bombadil, you're saying Bongbadil. I get it. I get it. I've seen the I've seen the Bong guy. He's literally right there. Yes. He's he's creeping around the corner. I, and I love that image. It's fun. It's a fun one. Uh and and we I were talking little anime eyes like <laughs> Ching. We were talking about it last night. A lot of people really like their cartoons. Um someone who uh Someone who met Scutch for the first time said, oh, my God, I see it now. <laughs> like they saw him come in and they were like, oh, yeah, no, I knew from your cartoon immediately <laughs> who you were. Um, I think Harold Heavy Hands is a stretch. He doesn't quite look that frightening. He does look that tired. Mark Rooster, I think I'm on point. Mm. I think I'm pretty good yeah. with him. Uh, Skelly Bones, I always like to joke that I just removed his skin and this is what he looks like underneath. I, you, you get a name Skelly Bones and you look at our group and it's pretty obvious which it's, one Skelly Bones. Which one Skelly Bones is. Deputy Dewey is literally just the person with the mustache. It's, it's really accurate. Um, and then I did the opposite for Punxsutawney Trill. I drew my friend's face and then put it on a, a groundhog. <laughs> uh, Strawberry Shortcake is just... Note for note, exactly how that person looks. <laughs> so take th take that one at you know at face value, literally. And then where am I? You know, all he was missing last night was the paper bag, because <laughs> mm. he definitely had the goggles on. Yes, yes he did. And um and then of course your wonderful little yellow boots and beautiful little blue hat, <laughs> which I wear all the time. <laughs> I just go trolleying around Which I wear Brooklyn. all the time we, we got together last night with the boys Because we do this thing Where we get together And basically play 
uh, Among Us in person. Mm -hmm. It's not Among Us. It's the best way I can I can describe it to you. Um, as I've explained on other episodes, I create little escape room type riddles and puzzles. And then at the same time as people are going around the house and doing those riddles and puzzles, someone else is going around, like, infecting everyone and spreading it throughout the group. So the group has to, like, defend themselves and do trust exercises. And it's all, like, this big fucking tug of war of deception. And it's all based on people lying to each other's faces yes. for about an hour each each game. Yes. And um, it devolves when people start getting their hands on weapons, which are we use uh, wonderful Nerf products to uh, to stand for shotguns and pistols and, and what have you. Um, and, uh, you know, every every once in a while we have uh, we have a recap of what happened with the first match, which is just uh, everyone shot each other. And it turned into a full-on battle royale. And then once they once they calmed the fuck down, <laughs> uh, we finally had a good match with the second one, which was le a legit survival round where myself, Captain Death, and Strawberry Shortcake were the only two winning survivors left. And uh, and then my my wonderful guest, Tom Bongbadil, was the progenitor for round three, the original infected who had to start the start the train on the third game, which I'm always worried about someone who's never played the game too much uh, getting getting the chip on the first go. So, like, seeing you kind of, like, warm up as the night went on and then say, like, I got this for the, <laughs> final, for the final game in the night was honestly... It, you pulled it off with such a plum. Thank. Such a plum. a plum with a plum. It was great. It was delicious. <laughs> you were carrying around a plum. <laughs> so what happened that night was, um, basically, I got the chip. I and I like very early on got someone, and so they were running around doing things for me, and I just played it very cool the rest of the game. I was just like, I'm just an innocent little doctor. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Don't, please don't hurt me while my minions are running around. Doing all this other shit. We had and them We didn't convinced. even know who we were. We didn't know other people were infected because you just, you did it to each individual small party. Yes, we did it. Basically, I got it, I, I got like a party, and then I got a second party. And then... It spread. What happened was, each of those people in those parties were like, I was hanging out with these people, and they didn't infect me. Nothing happened. And so, we had it to a point where um, the there, human players that were, were real humans... three left. There they were, were convinced the entire team was all humans, and that we killed... Yeah, that we had eradicated the infected early on. And they were, and they were just like, oh, we got this. We're ghosting. We're good. <laughs> like... And the... Uh, <laughs> And then this is the, the Arrested Development voice comes up and says, they were not good. <laughs> you know, like, it's just, they thought they were ready to go. They thought we were all safe and all, all getting along and all friendly and stuff. And they're about to leave and we just get both of them. The two Because we thought, we, we sussed out who was left and we took the entire group. Um, we did do that the first game, albeit we did it in two rounds because the original progenitor was Where Am I? And he was on mushrooms the entire night. So he uh, he just went around touching everyone, basically. And uh, and that was just chaos. Which, so Which little doodle is Where Am I? Yeah. 
And um, he he literally just... I'm not going to say he broke the game, because he was doing his own thing. But he, he went around... He dimensions. He went, <laughs> he went around touching just everyone he could. And um, there were, like, rules against doing that. I let it happen because what essentially happened is no one knew everyone else was infected, so we all just started shooting each other, like, as, as defense mechanisms, which is fine. It was fun. It was funny. Um, I still think the second game was probably my favorite, and it's just because we really did kind of say... I was playing a character who couldn't speak English, which I thought was funny, and... The other person in the group, Strawberry Shortcake, who ended up escaping with me and, and you know, clearing the base, um, he was just human trying to trying to manage his, his time as best we could. And uh, several times that one broke out into, um, there are people hiding in the house and they have weapons and they are refusing to come back and defend themselves to the group. So now we all have to hold up arms and run out and hunt them down. I might have been one of those people in that game. Tom Bongbiddle was 100% one of those people there's in a, that there's game. There's a chance that I might have been running around shooting people that game. Punxsutawney Trill was doing it the uh, probably the fun, the funniest way, which is um, we, we knew he wasn't going to come and we still gave him time to show up so where we thought he was he ran away and no one could find him so then it became a legit like where in this house is this motherfucker hiding and of course he was hiding in the basement where that, where he had perfect perspective of anyone coming down the stairs so. for that for that game though something hilarious happened oh yeah no what you did at the beginning <laughs> go ahead go right so, ahead so what happened is in that game i got turned really early um by deputy dewey by deputy dewey i th Wait, no, I was turned by, um... Puxatani Puxatani Trail? Trail. Oh, he was the progenitor. I, no, Deputy Dewey was the progenitor. He turned Puxatani Trail. I realized... I can't remember these Deputy names. Deputy Dewey. Deputy Dewey was the progenitor. I okay. shot him. Puxatani Trail, Trail got, got me. You. But and the really said, funny thing... shot my dad. <laughs> so, I... I shoot the guy. I go back to base like normal. He, um, he runs to the basement... And they're they're convinced Puxatani Trill is the one who shot him, or uh, no Dewey is the one who shot Puxatani. I can't remember. No, 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 no. It's it's Punks who shot Dewey. You're you're it's, right. They were convinced Punks shot Dewey, and it was you. And it was me. And I'm just standing there like I'm totally not infected, holding a giant shotgun, and just standing in the corner, hanging out. And they're all like, "Yeah, he shot him. He shot him." The guy didn't have a gun. I have the gun. I'm standing there with the gun, and they're just like. It must have been him. It must have been him who shot him. <laughs> well, it was, I think the timing was because it was me and two other people standing upstairs. And all that we saw was two people in a room and a bullet come and hit uh, Dewey. Yeah. And when we left with Dewey, because it was the end of the round, you came with us. So we were like... It couldn't have been that guy. We weren't looking at what he was shot with. We just knew he was dead. He came walking out of the room dead. Mm. And so we were like, someone in that room shot him. And by process of elimination, we said, it's it's someone who isn't here. Yeah. And then we realized Punxsutawney Trill didn't come back to the somewhere. base. So we had no fucking clue 
that it was you. We we legitimately didn't have a gun. I had the gun. He stole the gun from. That makes sense. (laughs) That checks out. I couldn't put that together in my head. I just always thought Punxsutawney Trill began the game with that gun. Nope, he stole it. Holy shit! (laughs) Okay. Now that makes sense. Now it's fu- now it's now it's because I funny. was having like a like Mexican standoff funny. with him. And I ended turned, up shooting him, and he then turned get to turned. look at who was coming up the stairs, and it was our fault that he got shot. Yes. Yeah. God damn. <laughs> God damn. I, I all I know is that apparently I don't look suspicious for whatever reason because like two games in a row I was just the the like infected and just. No one was like, it was like, it's way too late by the time they're like, well, maybe it's Tom who did it. And (laughs) that's like, I already killed half the team. What are you talking about? (laughs) We, so that, that game did end with you kind of saying it was me. And then I literally came and hunted you down. (laughs) (laughs) I got my hands on that weapon that punk stole and I hunted Tom down. They they had a, a big battle to get to get really it was it him. was an evolution process we had to defeat the mini boss to get to the big boss yes. um it was funny we had a really good time everyone had a really good time i have someone who is uh who's not on the show currently but he's going to be on the show later who it was his first time playing and he brought his son with him mm. and they both had a really good time and i i can't wait to get him on uh on the show just to be like so let's go back to a couple months ago when we played the game because you were the one who brought it up. I was sitting at work one day and he's just like, I just listened to so-and-so episode where you were with Where Am I and you guys were talking about having just played the game the last weekend. And let me tell you, the way you guys talk about this, I I want to play this. I, I want it. to do that. And I turned to him and I said, yeah, I think I can make that happen. Yeah, no, I think I can make that happen because so many people, it was already around the same time of when we did it last year. I think we did it the last weekend of July last year. So now it was the second weekend of August and like it was around the same time. It was around the same place and it was pretty much the same people, but I was reaching out to um, a lot of out of towners to see who can make it. And I reached out to like, um, gnarly charlie and crying hawaiian and scutch mcgee and you know we all we all got together and uh i asked tom what he was doing and he was like haven't seen you guys in a while i'm gonna come on down and uh crying hawaiian is in the same place so i asked him if he wanted to come too and he wasn't able to come but we were were glad to get tom bombardo from uh down from uh his his wonderful uh, John Malkovich door, and um, we're having we're having a good time um, playing the game and just hanging out and smoking the reefer. Shall we begin story? Oh yeah, we're we're gonna make this a quick one. We're we're doing a little quickie. Um, the stories we picked today are singles from No Sleep. And um, the reason for the singles from No Sleep is just basically a time constraint. 
But at the same time, I've got a bus to catch. But at the same time, I wanted to get an episode done while while he was in town. So we're we're gonna I make this a mysterious short. Mysterious and ephemeral. So when <laughs> you can catch me. You me you are you are wandering the woods singing your songs. Yes. Yes. Defending the world from dark, the dark mists. <laughs> Singing my songs in, the, in yellow booties and a blue hat. Demons, Demons seep out of the sewers and the alleys and you just sing a song at them and they fuck off. Just general New York life. That's, good. Honest. That's honestly a good point. So, um, we're doing a, a Reddit No Sleep Versus where we're going to see which of these two stories uh, might not suck. Or maybe both of them do. That's for us to decide. Okay. It's a very old school episode. Um, I recently just did a Not Hot But Spicy, which I know you enjoy. Um, uh, Not Hot But Spicy is what we did on your first episode. (laughs) So it's like, uh, I knew we had just done that. So we had to find something else that's that's similar but different. So we're doing No Sleep today. And um, we picked two short stories to go through. And... I left the decision entirely up to Tom, and he thought that these were the most interesting sounding ones. Of, these are the coolest the group. titles. Yeah, we go off of titles only. We don't read any in, in, into anything because we want to save it for the live reaction. But uh, we're gonna kick the first one off with uh, we're we're talking about a person. We're we're uh, what do you, what do you think what do you think this one's about? You know, it's it's um, just going off the title. <laughs> the Good Thomas Shea. The Good Thomas Shea. I'm thinking some sort of, like, horror... <laughs> in, I, I'm, look, I, I'm reading the first sentence. Yeah, the I'm first like... title is very different from what I expected. <laughs> so what I expected was some sort of, like, horror, like, Amish horror kind of thing. Like, like oh. old school Puritans, like... Some children of the corn. <laughs> some children of the corn. Let's the good, go get some corn. The good Thomas Shea. Uh, in my head, I just hear like an Irish accent. The good Thomas Shea. <laughs> but th- but that same time of like historical old oh, sure. horror. Pil- pilgrimage. Yeah. We are apparently wrong, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! We're, oh no! We're very wrong. We're very wrong. Okay. But, I, but I'll let you. T- I'll let you take it. Okay. Go for it. The good Thomas Shea. Thomas Shea is a psychopath. That's the end of the story. (laughs) (laughs) You can't sleep anymore, right? This Thomas Shea guy is a psychopath. At age 10, he was given an IQ test by one of his teachers on a hunch. He scored 124 and was immediately moved into the school's gifted program. Oh, I'm just... I don't know what it is about. Like, I gave him an IQ score. That's kind of funny to me, but... It's <laughs> bragging about the IQ scores. Yep, they're saying they're saying only only psychopaths have high IQs. Okay, so he scored 124 and was immediately moved into the school's gifted program. Over the next few years, his teachers would refer to him as a model student, while the school psychologist would note worrying aspects of his personality. Okay, now I understand the title. Yeah. At the age of 15, he would commit a crime that would shock our small. Connecticut town. Okay, so maybe, maybe there's some old school pilgrim things <laughs> still happening. So, that would shock our small Connecticut town. A brutal attempted murder on my brother, Kevin Collins. Between all of the theories surrounding Thomas Shea and the possible reason behind the attack, there is only one constant. My sister, Sarah Collins. 
My sister Sarah was the middle child between me and my older brother Kevin. At nine, she fell in love with volunteering at our local animal shelter and would spend the next few years involved in some kind of charity work. This combined with her overly friendly attitude, she's like nine, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Led to her fellow students nicknaming her Saint Sarah. She was an artist who often said, beauty can be found in the ugliest places. And all you have to do is look at it with the right eyes. I hate her already. I'm, I'm sure the nine-year-old did not say these I things. I am already on team murder her. <laughs> I'm already the good Thomas Shay. <laughs> it's just like he's the one normal person and everyone else is like this. Anyway. Um, she excelled. She excelled at most subjects, even though most of her time was spent doodling in her notebook. When she was 11, my Time stamp. <laughs> when she was 11, my brother... Kevin brought her her first camera. The walls of her bedroom were soon covered in photographs. Look at this photograph. Look at this photograph. She had taken in the woods around our neighborhood. It was the same year she first met Thomas. He was sitting alone at a lunch table when she decided he looked like he needed someone to talk to. A simple act of kindness turned into daily lunch meetings as an unlikely friendship grew. Tommy spent a lot of time with my sister in and out of school. He came over more and more and would stick around well past the established neighborhood curfew of when the streetlights turned on. When he was 14, we're getting into real people territory, starting. Uh-huh. He would often eat at dinner over our house, yet he remained distant to everyone in the family except Sarah. When a conversation began, he would continue chewing his few food while leveling his steel-gray eyes at the speaker. Even at a young age, he had the ability to silence someone with just a look. And when the specter of Thomas Shea was at our table, our meals became much less talkative. <laughs> Tommy would help clean the dishes before he joined Sarah out on our back porch for another hour of, or so of quiet talking. The last time I ever saw Thomas was on Christmas Eve when I was eight years old. Okay. I was sitting beside our decorated tree playing with a doll my parents had let me unwrap before they went to a co-worker's party. My game was interrupted by three sharp knocks. I got up off the ground and went to the foyer and answered the door. I pulled it open with the chain still latched to see Tom standing there in the cold December air. Hey, Kelsey, can I come in? I closed the door and pulled the chain off before reopening it. Tommy stepped inside, stomping his snow off the boots onto our welcome mat. Is Kevin around? He asked. I nodded yes. He's upstairs on his computer. Why do you want to see him? I already knew the answer. <laughs> Kevin had recently become more outspoken about Sarah seeing Tommy. He believed she was too good for him. They were 14, right? Okay. <laughs> they are 14. Um, that, combined with Tommy's reputation, had convinced Kevin that any kind of relationship between the two of them would end in violence. Okay. He spent yes. the next few days pers persuading my parents that the only way to protect Sarah was to ban her from seeing her favorite son of a criminal. They agreed, and Tomashe was no longer allowed into the Collins family home. Yet here he was, and I just apparently... And I him. let him in. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Thomas knelt down so he was face to face with me. 
do you still like singing, he asked. The flat tone of his voice sent a chill down my spine. Yeah, yeah, I responded, a mask growing, uh, masking a growing fear. Good. Can you sing a song, a Christmas carol? Sure, um, uh, how about Good King Wenceslas? I don't know what that is. That's a that's it's, a Christmas it's, it's, song. It's one. It is. It is. Um, I. Wenceslas, Good King Wenceslas. I. Cut this. Play the song. Everyone will know what it is. Okay. No, I need to look into it now. You will. You will no know it. There's. I swear. There's a Muppets Christmas that has this one too. See, I love Muppet Christmas Carol. So if you're fucking wishing, right not the now, Carol, the just like a general Muppets, uh, like like an episode. Yes. Just like General Muppets Christmas album somewhere. Oh, okay. Um, deep takes of Muppets music. Deep take mush, Muppet Muppet music people. Okay. Uh, Gun King Wenceslas. Who's talking? Uh, okay, Thomas. That's good. Stay down here, and no matter what you hear, keep singing as loud as you can. I could only nod in understanding. Tommy stood up and walked towards the staircase. He grabbed the railing turned around to face me. The look he gave was a silent command. Get out. I sprinted back to the living room and jumped on the couch that we had that we... On that the, couldn't be seen. That couldn't be seen from the foyer. I spun around and stared directly at the wall standing between him and me. Even with wood, sheet, rock, and paint separating us, I could feel him there. Good King Wenceslas, look. Ah, fuck, I need to know this tune. But good. Singing Good King Wenceslas. <laughs> ah, shit. She, we put the whole lyrics on. Um, good King Wenceslas looked out uh, on the feast. I'm just, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna read it. I'm just gonna read it. When the snow. Good King Wenceslas <laughs> looked out on the feast of Stephen. When the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even. Brightly shone the moon that night through. Though the frost was cruel, when a poor man came in sight gathering winter fuel, footsteps began slowly ascending the steps. Oh man, they're, they're really singing the song. Hither, <laughs> um, hither, page, and stand by me, if thou knows it telling. Yonder peasant, who is he? Where and what is his dwelling? Sire, he lives a good league hence underneath the mountain right against the forest fence of St. Agnes Fountain. The footsteps stopped. Everything inside me screamed, Do something! I don't know if that something was about to shout a warning, run and call the police, roll and start crying. Fear stopped my thoughts at do something. Bring me flesh and bring me wine, bring me pine logs hither. I heard a... I heard a door quietly open a few heavy footsteps later and it shut thou and i shall see him dine when we bear them hither voices came from kevin's room hushed at first but slowly growing louder page and monarch forth they went forth they went together the voices turned to shout though the though the wilds lament and the bitter weather the shouts turned to yell then came a sickening dull crack i stopped singing <laughs> like this would have been really cool if I do the tune and could just hum it for you but whatever um, I stopped singing as a crack and 
and after muffled crack filled the house. One, two, three, four. Then eerie silence. I raised my voice while all of the all of the courage I could muster forced me to slowly get off the couch. Oh fuck, they're singing again. <laughs> <laughs> You're not done yet, fucker. <laughs> Silent night is darker now and the wind blows stronger. Fails my heart, I know not how I can go much longer. I tiptoed into the foyer and the base of the stairs. Mark my footsteps now, Paige, and read through them boldly. My trembling hands met at the banister and I pulled my first step. Thou shalt find the winter's rage freeze thy blood less coldly. At this point, my song was more of a security blanket than the result of Tommy's command. In the master's steps he trod when the snow lay dinted. Step after step, after a turtle step, I reached the landing in the middle of the stairs. Another series of dull cracks caused me to wince before I continued my journey. The heat was very sod, which the saint had printed. I got to my brother's bedroom door and slowly moved towards the handle. Another crack followed by a muffled scream. My song was little more than a whimper now. Therefore, Christian men might be sure wealth or rank possession. I gripped the door handle so tight my... My, I felt my fingers would snap. Ye who now will bless the poor shall yourselves find blessing. I put all of my strength into pushing open the door. Tommy stood in the middle of my brother's room over a writhing Kevin. Blood speckled the dark blue room, blue walls, black, and he turned the white ceiling into a gory mosaic. In his right hand held the claw hammer song about that. Uh, <laughs> it's just a regular hammer. I don't know why people put the emphasis on claw. I held the claw hammer that had covered my siblings back in inch wide holes. Kevin's body contorted as every muscle pulled against one another. He gasped like a fish pulled onto dry land with an empty gaze locked into his attacker. That wasn't the worst part. The worst was the cold gray eyes staring at me through the blood-matted hair. Without a word, Tommy slammed the shore down. Shut. You want to say that one more time? <laughs> without a word, Tommy slammed the door shut. <laughs> slammed the shore, dut. <laughs> I don't remember anything after that. Or before that, for that matter. Everything... Really? You just made us sing an entire song. You don't remember it anymore? <laughs> you don't remember it? <laughs> I don't remember any of that, or before that, for that matter. Everything but my impromptu caroling was a blur. Oh, okay. Fuck you. <laughs> I was found in the hallway sobbing next to my brother's dead bedroom door, being comforted by my sister. Kevin was a high school quarterback. He was, more, he was popular with more friends than I could possibly remember at the time. He worked a part-time job for money, and he spent it on my sister and me. He was the life to any party, event, or even room he entered. He had just celebrated his 18th birthday, and he was attacked by a four-year-old, 14-year-old with a hammer. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 He survived the attack, but he'd never play football or do much else again. He sped, spend the rest of his days being fed through a tube and grasping at the brightly painted mobile my parents hung over his bed. The same one he had when he was in a cradle, my teary-eyed mo mother would tell me. Tommy was arrested at his house, wearing the same clothes he wore during the attack. 
was he was tried as a minor and placed in a mental institution just like the school had psychologist had predicted years earlier he showed no remorse i privately blamed sarah she was the one who invited a monster into our home sarah's personality flipped she became quiet and withdrawn the only people she talked to were junior and senior burnouts drugs replaced art her good girl image was uh, chained to black baggy hoodies and dirty jeans one night i walked into her room seeing her passed out on her bed still wearing this same clothes she had snuck out in the entire room stank like weed and beer but that's what wasn't what infuriated me in her arms was a stuffed teddy bear and tommy had won her at the big e a plastic star pinned to his chest a tiny white cowboy had sewn to its head a mocking smile stared at me from across the room i never hated anyone as much as i did her at the moment i suspect tommy was a hero he was defending the sister from the older brother. Maybe. Who was probably doing something to her. Maybe. That would be a twist. I'm a I'm beast. assuming that's what makes him the good Thomas J. Maybe. I'm 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 thinking my 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 issue with the story so far is that we keep getting told why Tommy is so evil. Um and aside from the scene where he's attacking this kid. We don't see anything of that evilness. He's just kind of quiet and weird. Just a quiet kid who stares yeah. real deeply. So yeah. I don't. We don't know why the psychologist hates him. Oh no, I got it. Yeah. My parents told me to lay off my sister, but I couldn't. Every time she looked at her, I saw Kevin lying on the floor of his bedroom. She was the reason Kevin was in a bed instead of in college. She was why Dad had a mistress now. Damn. Damn. She was why Mom drank more than usual. She knew it, too. Double dog, damn. Um, yeah, man. One night, I woke to the feeling of someone watching me. I lifted myself off my bed, and my eyes adjusted to the darkness. A dark figure sat on the toy box across from me, fumbling with something in its hands. Hey, Sarah's weak voice called. Get out of here, I muttered. I could see her bow her head as she seemed to, to do so Are often these days. you having trouble seeing it? <laughs> I just need you to listen to me, Kel. Please. I fell back onto my pillow and locked my eyes towards the bedroom door. Get out, I hissed. She sat in the silence for a moment before speaking back up. I know you hate me. Right now, I hate me. But there's... She gave an exasperated sigh. I'm sorry. So... I'm thinking, I'm thinking the theory is correct. Um, she stood up and placed whatever was in her hands on the, t on top of the toy box. Her footsteps were soft, and she made a ray across the room. She quietly opened the door, and I saw my sister for the last time. Mm. I will never forget how she looked at me that night, even though I could never find the right words to describe it. I love you, Kelsey, were the last words my sister would ever say to me. With that quiet click on the door handle, she disappeared uh, from my life. She was 17 year old, years old. She ran away from home that night. There would be a massive police search, but it turned up nothing. I didn't care. I didn't even tell my parents about her late night farewell. It wasn't my sister who left. It was the person who nearly got my brother killed. She was left. She had left a neatly wrapped box onto my toy chest before she took flight. I took one look at it and threw it in my dresser drawer. I never want to spend another moment wasted on Sarah Collins. Years flew by. 
and I left for college, hoping to escape my parents' constant fighting. I kept my past hidden from everyone except for my boyfriend, Mike. All those years, I had want, I was still angry at her. I decided the day she left, uh, I would never end up like Sarah. In all those years, I had never so much as drank, let alone touched any kind of drugs. My life wasn't going to be, wasn't going to amount to a murderer and a failed police search. The, the year that I had decided I had finally put together was the year it had all fell apart. It was Christmas. Oh God, please no working with my Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna sing again. Uh, we're gonna sing some more. It's Just you the wait. Same one. Just you wait. It was Christmas time again when I found my parents shopping at Danbury Mall. That sells a mistress, right? Okay. Um, I had brought presents for my parents, my close friends, and it was in the process of buying a gift for Mike. We had a running joke between the two of us how we were going to stop being adults and just live in a blanket fort. That it, and I had come to the conclusion the perfect gift for him would be the first pieces of building material. I was standing in the bedding section of a J.C. Penney's when a group of carolers sang in my ear, God fucking damn it! Sire, the night is darker now, and the wind blows stronger. Fails my heart, fails my heart. I know not how I can't can go on much longer. It's strange what will unlock an old memory: a smell, a sound, seeing a familiar face. In that case, it was a Christmas carol and the side sight of white linen sheets. The bag I was holding dropped to my side, and every little detail came rushing back. Sarah was at the house that night. She had told me Tommy was coming by and to let him in. She said she then she went somewhere she was in the basement why was she in the basement she was crying i remember that now but she was doing something else laundry she was doing the laundry she had to clean her bed sheets she had to clean her bed sheets she told me because she had gotten hurt playing with kevin no kevin told me that that it wasn't the first time mark my footsteps my good page dread Tread down in them boldly, so thou shalt find the winter's rage, breathe them bloodless coldly. God damn it. I'm, li- I'm, li- I'm living up to my uh, character name. Oh the, yeah, the, the, you're, the you're jaunting about merrily. All of the skeletons came screaming out of the closet. That that is a very weird phrase to use so I'm just cause now cause like, I get where it's coming from but just I'm skele- just like just Skeletor <laughs> meh Tiny memories that seemed so insignificant at the time played one after another, Kevin smiling and handing me a CD I really wanted. I don't see why I can't play with you guys, I asked him. It's a grown-up game. I fell to my knees. My memory of Sarah and I were talking alone, alone in her room. Why do you like Tommy? He's weird, a much younger me asked. She put her pen down and thought for a moment. We help each other. Why was I just recalling this now? Kevin's bedroom door appeared before me. Behind it, Kevin and Sarah. Don't tell anyone, I heard Kevin say a decade before. I threw my hands over my mouth. Oh my god, Sarah, I muttered. I screamed so loud the entire store fell silent. I jumped down and ran out the store of my car. I ran every red light until I was back in my dorm room. Hey babe, you get your shopping done? Mike called from the kitchen. He turned the corner to see me sobbing next to the ground with my back against the door. He ran over and dropped down next to me. I didn't hear a word, he said. All I saw was Sarah and I back in her room. Okay, but... He's scary and weird, just saying, eight-year-old me said. Sarah smiled and picked back, picked her pencil back up and continued drawing. Yeah, he is, but he's also kind. He listens to me. He watches out for me. I do the same for him and the same for you. It's, we make each other better. Beauty can be found in the ugliest places. Eight-year-old me remembers snorting. How can you, 
How could you be so positive all the time? She tapped her pencil against the pad. Sometimes, sometimes hope is all you have. One day things will get better. I turned to my sister and she looked at me now the same way she did that night. Despair. I had a word for it now. That, that weekend, I went home for the second time since I moved out. I went to my room and opened the dresser door. There, I, there was still wrapped box from Sarah. I tore back the paper to see a framed photo of the two of us. Me smiling as my big sister hugged me from behind. I turned the, I turned the frame over to see a yellow note tape, taped to the back of it. Remember us for what we were, not what we became. I know my, t I know why my parents told me to lay off Sarah. I know t why Tommy was tried as a minor for such a violent crime. I know why Sarah had been depressed after Tommy was taken away. I just know it too late. Mom and Dad didn't know what to say. Her own sister hated her because her boyfriend attacked her rapist. Sarah wasn't truly, Sarah was truly alone. She was told every day with my icy glares and my parents deafening quiet that it was her fault. How much would have changed if I knew she was the victim? How far, how far uh, would a it wasn't you have gone? That's all I could think of as I stood about over Kevin's bed. I had no idea, I have no idea how long I just looked at him debating whether or not I should finish Tommy's work. He woke up and lifted his head before I made a final decision. A sloppy smile spread across his lips. Kelpie, he drooled into his pillow. I just stared at him. I wanted to confess. I wanted to say to say I'm sorry the same way his victims had the last night I saw her. But he didn't. He just smiled and drooled. I left without saying a word. I spent a few hours after I got to, back to my dorm room searching for Sarah Collins on the internet. I had this childish fantasy that kept playing over and over in my head. She would probably cut her hair into one of those pixie cuts I would see on all the art students. When I found her, she would be at an art gallery. Her, photo would be, her photos would be hanging on every wall while patrons gawked at her genius. She would be smiling in the riddle, middle of the room, talking to some investor th through a smile. A glass of champagne sparkled next to a diamond wedding room. Next to her would be Thomas Shea. He'd be standing awkwardly next to next to his wife in a gray suit and that matched his eyes. I'd walk in and she'd recognize me instantly. I would apologize and she would accept. We would be a family to get. A real, honest-to-God family. The fantasy eroded when I saw her obituary. Her coping mechanisms had caught off with her. She had, she had died on an operating table trying to fix a badly damaged heart valve. I missed her by two days. Damn. 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 Double dog, damn. I went to her wake with Mike at my side, not knowing what to expect. Each step on the carpet towards the viewing room was a mile milestone. Then the book caught my eye. Black pleather with photos written across it in gold letter, sitting in, my, in the middle of my white table by the door. I slowly lifted the cover. Inside was a collection of black and white photos she had taken over the years. I flipped through each picture, carefully admiring every detail. When I got to the last two pages, I couldn't help but smile. The left page held a photo of Sarah and Tommy standing um, side by side at the fair. Sarah held a familiar teddy bear in her hand, in her left, and Tommy's right hand, right, Tommy's hand in her right. The right page was similar. The two of them sat at a white table outside a cafe. She had her pixie cut. He had a suit. I flipped mm. over the last page, hoping to see one more picture. Instead, a note was taped to the plastic sleeve of the cafe picture. Sarah saw Sarah Collins saw the good in everyone and everything, despite having a life that did not did everything to try to convince her otherwise. 
She braved the storms that would that would destroy the strongest people. She spent her time on this planet trying to capture the world as she saw it through the glass lens of her camera. She was the definition of beauty and grace. She was strong beyond words and too rare. My my life had one constant. Sarah Collins. Quote. Thomas Shay. I take from the golf claps that you enjoyed that. Yes, yes. Um, it would have been good if I had remembered the fucking Christmas uh, <laughs> Carol, because like, like the the back and forth between that. I'm I'm gonna level with you. Even I went to church and I have no fucking clue what that song is. It's it's there. It's a real one. Um, no, no shit. <laughs> you sang the entire thing almost twice. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I thought. I thought it was a little drawn out at times, and I thought it was, um, like, it, it, it could have been, like, three to three pages shorter, uh, but I did, I did like the idea. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously my, my horror trope brain caught up before we were done reading the story, and I just, it's like, I've, I've just, I've seen this in stories we've read before, I've seen this in horror movies, we know, we know that the twist is, is that the good guy that we've expected to be the good guy the entire time hasn't been a good guy, and that the reason the, the bad thing happened is because of a defense mechanism, not from, yeah. an, not from an offensive, you know, psychopathic murderer perspective. Um, I thought it was... Okay, I thought the writing was a little hither thither. It was a it was a, it was a little too. I'm gonna write how I'm seeing it play out in my head instead of writing how it would sound best on paper. Mm, yeah. You know, and and I and I know I know how that feels. I write like that too. It's a little bit hard to differentiate what you should be saying metaphorically versus what you should be saying literally. Yeah, and like. A lot of people do that. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a no sleep, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I thought it was good, and and it was the good Thomas Shea. Yes. And he was not Irish. He was not Irish or a pilgrim. Or a pilgrim, and it might have been Connecticut, but it was not the sixteen hundreds. No. <laughs> so. No. Anyway, um, the second one that you picked that I'm gonna read real quick, um, has we don't has have a huge amount of time. Oh. I'm going to read real quick, and okay. you're going to see how fast I could get through nine fucking pages. Okay. Uh, not to mention, the title of the story is a paragraph long, <laughs> so every time I'm going to say it, I'm going to get better at going faster about it. So It's, it it's one of those, like, drink every time you see the title in the work, but it's this giant eight-sentence-long title. It's the no-sleep thing. For some reason, they feel the need to hook people at, like what is immediately on the screen in front of you. So you're scrolling by your Reddit thread, you know, your feed is coming through and you see a fucking paragraph that's just like, it isn't Satan. It isn't monsters. It isn't the government. It isn't a serial killer. It isn't aliens. It isn't demons. It isn't nuclear. It isn't solar storms. And you're just like, that took up my entire fucking phone page. <laughs> Anyway, that was the title. I'm not going to say it again. Doorbells are not inherently scary. The doorbell rings. The door is answered, of course. What's on the other side of the door can change the interaction significantly. If it's your uncle, that's fine. If it's your rapey uncle, it's not fine. And you might need to call good Thomas Shea to help you out. <laughs> 
I'm a house painter by trade. Generally, I work by myself or with Joe. Good old middle-aged silent type. Nice guy. Talented painter. Devout Christian. Let's sing a song about it. It's funny <laughs> to think that his faith actually has little to do with what happened that day. It was a Wednesday afternoon. The entire day was spent hanging drywall, completely covering the ceiling of two bedrooms, including our John Malkovich door. If you're ever covering a ceiling in drywall, we can swap stories of shoulder pain and screw shards in our fingers later. Two women lived in the house, with its cracking walls, dusty everything, strange ability to cast shadows in a room facing direct sunlight. Somewhat elderly women. Sisters, I think. I wasn't too sure. Kind women. But they had a tendency to walk completely in sync with one another. It was like, if you've ever seen the movie Don't Look Now, it reminded me of the old woman in that. You can't do a horror story and then say, look at this no, other horror. No, 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 do that. Man, that was a pretty good movie. <laughs> <laughs> it uses suspense so effectively. But after a while, the lack of anything happening becomes a bit mundane. Maybe like this story. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm rambling. <laughs> I daydream when I work, so documenting the day brings out the talker in me. But anyway, the women had left house for several hours and no idea where they went, but by judging by the empty lorazepam bottles and compulsive conversations about death on the news, I'd say nowhere important. Just getting away from the loneliness and the depression that is the Philadelphia suburbs. <laughs> oh, rest in peace. So, it was myself, Joe, and a dying radio set to the oldies. The radio would turn to static whenever I walked by. Only me, which I found odd. I joked in my head about possibly being a demon. These are the things one thinks about while screw-gunning a 400th spiral into gypsum. Spiral into Gypsum would actually be a decent band name, honestly. There I go again, rambling again. The stories never stop aboard this train of thought. The doorbell rang! Joe called from the other room. Hey, Dave, mind grabbing that? My hands are full. Should we really be answering the door with the homeowners gone? Well, no. I suppose whoever it is can always come back. Silence. Come here, help me dry fit this. I sigh, knowing soon I'll be holding my arms above my head for a lot longer than I'd wanted to. One hour passes and the women still haven't come home. We've exhausted our drywall surplus upstairs, so Joe charges me to run downstairs to grab another sheet myself. Maneuvering a cumbersome piece of sheetrock is not something I'm excited about, but the sooner we finish, the sooner I can kill all the ice cream in my freezer, since I'm basically a child. Fucking sue me. Charging down the stairs, I stop. The front door is covered by a thin curtain, obscuring the window in what somewhat the sunlight pouring through outlines of a silhouette on the other side of the door. I cock an eyebrow, as if anybody can see my confusion. Whoever happened to be standing there was completely still, so I decided to assume it was one of the women on the porch admiring the bland street corner. It's funny how we instantly rationalize what we don't understand. It isn't so much that we make sense of the world, but we invent our own reality where nothing bad can happen. My hand gripped the tarnished handle and turned, pulling the door open to reveal a man in a black suit, a suit that would have been more at home 200 years ago. He was wearing a bowler hat and looked vaguely familiar to elderly Sinatra. His voice, however, was not from the chairman, deep and leaving a bitter taste in my mouth. His voice left a bitter taste in your mouth. Okay. Mmm. <laughs> Old. Hello, friend. I started to think you would never answer the door. It was at this point I should have closed the door in his face, but frankly I didn't think it would have changed the events that followed. I didn't know you were here this whole time. Are you a friend of Maureen's? He had to know the homeowner somehow, right? Breathe and remember. Rationalize. 
No, I'm just here to deliver an envelope to a Joe House. Is that what that says? The man pulled some reading glasses from his pocket. Yes, Joe House. Do you happen to be Joe? No, I'm not Joe, but I could take it to him if you'd like. He's right upstairs. I can't allow you to touch this envelope, but if you would allow me to come in, I'd be more than happy to deliver the envelope and be on my way. So, pause for a second. What is the vampire rule for letting someone you into to, someone else's invite... house? No, no, it's any it's any house. But, like, like this Maureen lady, someone else invited so someone into her house, and vampires, now she has vampires. I mean, yeah, now you got vampires. God damn it. Fucking, Don't let fucking anyone homeowners in. And, and their home contracts just, for workers. Just carry a shotgun and in shoot Philly, anyone who comes near you. That in is... Philly, you can't let anyone work on your house. You just get vampires. <laughs> um, I'd be more than happy to deliver this. I heard steps behind me. I was wondering when Joe would get impatient. Dave, where's the drywall? Who's that? It's not important, but this envelope is for Joe House. Would you be Joe House? The old man was exceedingly pleasant, cracking a smile without a hint of malice. I am. Joe approached the man as one would approach a leper. He snatched the off-white envelope, opening it at arm's length. If this is anthrax, I'm making sure you die with me, old man. Joe was also was also a conspiracy like theorist. Joe. That Joe, is the worst reaction ever. Joe was also an asshole. The man just grinned. It's nothing of this sort, but I appreciate the humor. Joe removed a single piece of paper from the envelope, reading it aloud, brutus, brutally grimacing. It isn't solar storms. It isn't demons. It isn't nuclear. Pause. Then what the fuck is it? <laughs> I just deliver the messages, the old man gave a stiff wave before collapsing into a pathetic heap. The police arrived promptly, pulling up a storm of light and sound. They took statements from each of us, surveyed the area. The homeowners came back, obviously horrified that an old man just died on their porch. This was made more bizarre by the women asserting that they had never before seen the unfortunate visitor. The old man was a complete stranger to everyone, apparently. He had nothing in his pockets, no tags on his clothes, no fingerprints. His teeth were dentures, no label, serial number, branded onto him. The cops fidgeted for a while, taking pictures, shooting their guns at each other in a weird take on a water gun fight, <laughs> punching, <laughs> punching stray animals. What? We all joined in. It was a great time. I'm kidding. But the officers really didn't know what to do. So naturally, they told us to call them if anything else happened and they were gone. Maureen's supposed sister had gone upstairs to lie down. Joe, myself, and Maureen made awkward small talk, having no stake in this old man and wanting to banish the ordeal from memory. Joe made no mention of the envelope to the police or the, to the sisters. Eventually, we all just decided the best course of action was for Joe and I to go ahead and continue working. Instead, I wish we left. I was working in the front bedroom, so I pushed the door open, not remembering having it closed, but telling myself I'm forgetful sometimes. This was Maureen's sister, Diana, lying dead on the floor, eyes wide, chest and stomach sliced open, revealing a bloodless cavity. Her arm was propped up on, with a wooden board, forcing it to point directly at the ceiling. One of the pieces of drywall had a new arrangement of nails. The black heads all gathered in a pentagram. It appeared to be bleeding, red fluid dripping from old nail holes. I guess I should mention the rest of the room. Diana wasn't the only dead body. One of the police officers and two people I had never seen before all lie dead and empty, pointing up at the ceiling. 
The furniture, which only consisted of a bed and a desk, were covered in sheets. Joe's tools, two different sized pliers, a drywall saw, a drill, and a painter's putty knife sat neatly on the top of the desk. The bed was covered in envelopes. It may have been a gut reaction to the scene, but Joe ran frantically to the envelopes, tearing each one open like a spoiled kid on Christmas. It isn't Satan. It isn't monsters. It isn't demons. It isn't a serial killer. It isn't aliens. The envelopes all contained variations of this trope, gradually turning Joe's tone from urgent to pleading. He collapsed into tears. My heart was racing. But until you've seen something atrocious, you don't know how you would react. And Maureen vomited before passing out on the floor. I stood still, sweating and wringing my hands. The vice grip in my chest signaled a panic attack. What do I do now? What did this? Then Joe opened the last envelope. This one was completely black, buried underneath the others. Unlike the previous letters, this one was opened with care. The vigor was gone. Joe stood still for a while before turning to look out the window. Where I was situated at the door, I couldn't see what he was looking at, but I didn't need to see it. Get the fuck out of here now! Joe turned to me in a frenzy, running toward the door as I heard shattered glass. I glanced back as I flew down the stairs, only to see Joe clawing at the hardwood floor, nails tearing off into cascading blood. He was being dragged by a scabbed hand, long yellowing nails. I didn't see what the hand belonged to, but it didn't matter. I thought of going back to save Maureen, but as I plowed through the front door, her body exploded from the window above me. The sound of bones cracking and ripping accompanied the unnatural bounce of the corpse. Run, little rabbit. It's hunting season. I just want to do Elmer Fudd real quick. Can I do Elmer <laughs> One little rabbit. It's hunting season. Monotonous tone. Sour taste in my mouth. The taste of garbage and hate. Not my own hate. I threw open my car door, remembering suddenly that my battery had been temperamental lately. One turn of the key. Grinding sounds. Two, Two turns, turns of, of the key. key. Grinding, grinding sounds. Three, Three turns, turns of the, of the key. key. No ha, sounds. Ha, ha. <laughs> Three tons <laughs> of key. Yeah. I looked up at the second floor window, feeling eyes on me. Being parked across the street, the view of the window was clear enough to make out an abnormally large head, given that appearance by a mass of matted, straw-like black hair. The hair obscured all facial features except the scarred, dirty cheeks and jaw, adorned with... Well, it wasn't a smile. The mouth was openly displaying gritted caramel teeth. The expression didn't indicate any emotion. Four turns. The window gazers slithered from the window, limbs being used in the wrong way to exit onto the overhang above the front door. Five turns. The window gazer reached a scabbed hand onto the drain pipe, attempting to slide down the pipe upside down. The nails and brackets on the tube tore fresh tore flesh from the thing, dripping blood onto the pavement in a sinister shower. Six turns. The Wait, thing lay the, still on the, the ground. Is the window pipe bloody? What? I think they're assuming that it's like cutting it up as it's sliding the down hand, this okay. thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the thing lay still on the ground for several seconds before wildly flailing its bony body parts, the whole time seemingly training that eyeless gaze on me. Mouth still open. Teeth still gritted. Blood still leaking from flesh wounds. Seven turns. Lucky seven. The car came to life. Turning the corner, I was gone. Right into traffic. 
fuck, 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 fuck. Cars in front, cars behind. I glanced behind me, expecting to see the beast wandering towards the main road, and instead I saw Maureen and Diana pull their car around the block. My phone buzzed. It was Joe. Huh. Hello? Where the fuck are you, man? I... You... You're okay? What the fuck are you talking about? You ran to your car all panicky. I'm concerned for you. I pulled the car to the side of the road, staring at my hands for no reason other than that they existed. The phone was still on. Joe asked if I was there, but I couldn't bring myself to answer. Was it really Joe? I decided to ask him one thing. What did it say in the last envelope? And static for a second, then a sour taste in my mouth. I knew I wasn't going back to that house. It's curiosity. Well, okay. I, th the reason, so is it I'm, what I'm, killed the old man or what hunted them? Um, I'm confused. Yeah. You saying what is just like someone taking that part of me and being like, Oh no, like you didn't miss anything. That just didn't make sense. No, yeah, yeah. I it's like that last It isn't the, this, the it isn't where, this, it isn't the this. The part it isn't where it goes Hogwild is like supposed to be a hallucination of some sort. Um kind of. So is it saying that curiosity is what'll get you killed? I think I think that's what they were going for. Yeah. I suppose that's fair, because at the end of the day, in a horror movie, what is really what gets everyone killed? Going down in the basement trying to figure it out. Going outside when you hear okay. something out, you know, creaking in the fucking brush, you know? Uh, I... It doesn't really have anything to do with the old man. He definitely wouldn't have died from curiosity. No. He, he was, was just he was fucking just like standing there. And that might have not even... No, that happened. That definitely happened. Like, the old man part happened. And then as soon as he I got think... back up to the room, that didn't happen. It did and it didn't. Like, it's hard to tell where it separated. Yeah, it, I appreciate the attempt. We'll put it that way. I appreciate the attempt as much as I appreciate someone just writing something fun. Yeah. Like, it was fun to read. I'm not going to shit on it because it wasn't fun to read. It was fun to read. That was fine. Yeah. I guess I'm just like, hey, man, you have a lot of thoughts and you put them all down on paper and then you just kind of pressed send. I, it, I think if you had gone back and just kind of restructured it, it probably would have been a little bit better. The other day, I was watching the Junji Ito yeah. uh, things on Netflix. Yeah, the volumes. I've watched those with Mr. Skellybones. Um, I have a kind of similar thought there, where it's like... Because when you watch a bunch of those in a row, uh -huh. what happens is some of them like hit on all, like, on all, all cylinders. stops. They're yep. amazing. And some and of them are boring as fuck, and they just suck. It's like... And, it, and you can tell it's the guy is kind of, like, working through ideas and just, like, getting them out. And what's some gonna, of them come together and some What's gonna scare us don't. in this story? And if you feel that scare, if you feel that same fear, the episode hits you strong. Yeah. And you're just like, no, I get this. I definitely fear that same thing. And so, it's and it's usually some incorporal, incorporal, incorporal like aspect you know it's it's it's, it's something some undeniable monstrosity some something so horrifying you can't really wrap your head around it it's to me to me it's it's like with ito it's about a lot about concept so like mm -hmm. like a really good one was the like the layers one where where it's this 
this very big metaphor about burying things under layers that is drawn through like three different scenarios and it is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Whereas one that really didn't land is this like sea monster where people live inside the sea monster and it's just yeah it just was weird and it yeah. didn't really like there was an idea about being missing at sea and like trying to find things but it just never came together mm -hmm. and so to this writer i want to say um if we're we're having this like eh, this is a really good reaction <laughs> to it don't don't like take that to heart take that as this is something that like you had an idea it was Starting to come together and it just didn't quite land. I feel like everyone even listening probably feels the same way we do. Because, you know, when when we authenticate these things and we tell them and we read them, you know, on the show, people follow our train of thought. They're not making up their own assumptions because they're not the ones reading. So it's, it's a lot of time about how we sell it as well. So if I'm reading it note for note exactly how it's written and we're all ending up at the same finish line, it just means you got to go back and just yeah. work on that type of shit one more time. Yeah. Now, kind of like last notes kind of ending the episode and everything. I got a couple I, thoughts too, but... I, I think Good Thomas Shea was obviously the better story yeah. of the two, but I liked what the second story did. The, the good Tom Shea is just regular story, good, good pacing, you know, hit all the right spots, told a good story. But the second one is more interesting to me. Mm. Second one's more interesting to me because of its, Potential. you know, that, that Junji Ito quality that you, that you mentioned. It's almost, it's like this umami thing, you know, where you're just like, that was weird. That was weird. And that was, and you know, that was different. And it's because of something like no sleep or something like that can exist and people can be like, this is fine. This 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 hit a right note for me. Um, I just wish it was just written better. Basically, that's that, that's all. Just that's all come together a little more. So yeah. here's here's my here's my thoughts um, with the good Thomas. It was it was very good. It just needed to be a little shorter and a little more edited mm, yeah. down. Um, but that just that just that was fine. It was good um, with this one. I don't think the concept quite came together fully, so um, yeah. it, it would probably need a rewrite. Two other things. Um, in the second one, there's this sort of, like, folksy tone to it, to, yeah. where it's, like, this guy telling a, a story. Stream of conscious. That, oh, there's a fancy word for it, and I forget what it is, but there's, there's, that works, but it can be done much shorter, and, like... Of course. Like, like you This don't... guy was literally talking, like... The, the guy who was writing it might have even just been, like, Google speak. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm rambling. I mentioned a movie. What are we talking about again? Oh, uh, yeah, the ceiling. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like that can be done, but can be conveyed with just, like, one or two words at a time. It's, it's, oh, yeah. it's a good technique. It's just something that you can, as you work on the writing craft, you can, like, really hone that down to, like, really sell that as the narrator's uh, voice without a, like trailing but i'm also gonna say like to the on the same on literally the same exact note i have no fucking clue what they were trying to do with that story yeah it ended with a very large person uh on the outside of a building covered in hair trying to eat people i don't know this guy watches too much attack on titan he needs to calm the fuck down is what, <laughs> I, is what i'm thinking the other the other thing i'll say and this is kind of just like horror writers in general yeah. and i and i was actually talking to um kind of everyone about this this week because we watched the thing and the thing prequel yeah and the 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 difference between those movies is that the thing starts with 
dog helicopter and it's this really dramatic thing and you have no idea what the fuck's going on. Shoot out, a guy gets and, killed. And then, yeah. and then you fill in the exposition, whereas the thing prequel is people in a helicopter going to the Antarctic We're all talking then, to each other and we're all getting along and, and oh my then, god, there's a thing in the ice the, and then oh no. Yeah, yeah, so start with the tension moment, then fill in the details. Because this, this builds this kind of suspension because you, the audience, are going, oh my god, something is going to go fuck this whole thing up as you're learning about the, it's the world. Fun, it's funny you say that because good Thomas Shea did the action at the beginning and then the rest of the story kind of filled in around it. Yeah, it, yes, yes and no. Um, it did, but it also was like this very like, the psychologist said he was a murderer and then he was a murderer. That's just stereotype. Yeah, yeah but like that kind of like, Hit me with the tension first, then fill in the details. Um, yeah. Really kind of helps sell the suspense of a story. Yeah, with something that's so uh, metaphorical, so like non-physical, some something like uh, in, incorporal is like the only word I can ask. Uh, you know, like I can think of at the moment because I'm not gonna say that entire paragraph long title, but if you listen to all those words, they're all like describing, like a reason for something mm. like I always, I think the sentence is like, well, what's going to kill me or what's going to get me killed. And then, you know, you're seeing all these answers and this guy is worrying about all these answers. He's like, okay, so it's a demon's not going to kill me. Aliens aren't going to kill me. Murder is not going to kill me. The devil's not going to kill me. What is going to kill me? And you know, yeah. the answer ends up being curiosity. I just kind of like big old fart noise. Just, yeah. <laughs> It, it's also, what ends up happening is, you know you're reading a horror story, so as you're getting it set up, you're like, oh, I know, this is going to be scary. Um, and that's that's <laughs> that's what horror writer movies do uh, all the gonna time. This is going to be scary. But, I like, like the thing Stephen King sits down and goes, this is going to be real spooky, <laughs> and just starts writing. So uh, it's like, we don't, we don't want that to be the source of tension until the <laughs> evil thing happens. We want something to... Yeah. Get us in that story. I like the imagery of, like, these, like, body bags on the floor, like, skin on the floor, and, like, skeletons just pointing at the ceiling. Yeah, I thought that was pretty neat, but then it was, like, a pentagram made out of nails, and I was like, why? <laughs> why couldn't it just be a bunch of skeletons being propped in weird positions? Uh, it didn't go anywhere. It doesn't matter. Um, this is no sleep. Welcome to Lots of Pasta. This is my guest, Tom Bongvidil. He's here with me today reading some fucking no sleep stories, and that is what we did. It is now over. The time The time has passed. Uh, Tom Bongvidil, how, how, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Okay. Any any fucking messages for the readers? Any any um, any notes of wisdom you want to leave them with? Any nuggets? I I'm just just keep reading and writing and doing keep working on your craft. Well, the funny thing is, the people who listen to this show are people who read No Sleep, not the ones who write No Sleep. That is There's a, a lot of overlap. That is a joke. Um, uh, we literally interviewed a very popular uh, author like a couple months oh, ago. Nice. Yeah, no, he was on the show. He nice. it, was, it was fantastic. Um, we've written, we've read everything he's written on his website. So after like he found us, he was just like, "I gotta talk to you guys. You keep nice. fucking, you keep fucking reading all my stuff. I gotta talk to you guys about it." So um, yeah, he he wants to come on for another episode, 
and he wants to curate the episode for me. Mm. He just wants it to be me and him, and he wants to find stories for me to read. Nice. He's like, I don't want to write them this time. I just want to talk to you about good stories, and he yeah. wants to give them to me. So that's that's pretty fun. But, you know, uh, the, the overlap of this show is the people who are reading and writing mm. these, these dinky little stories for the internet. And if Tom tells you to kind of, uh, you know, tighten up your shit, and, you know, put a little bit more work into it. But in a good way. Then in, you, know, you know, like, you're on your way. You're doing it. Grease keep, those... Keep working at it. Grease those elbows and get on your knees, is what he's saying. Which, you know... Yeah. That's what, that's what this is that's for. Life. It's, that's life. That's life for, it, yeah. The, the, these, little, <laughs> these little stories are to have fun, to practice, and keep getting better. And, uh, and I'm here to... Uh, get high and make fart jokes and uh, read you a story. That is also good.